0: hello everybody welcome to health chatter today's episode is on pain and pain management it's going to be an interesting subject for sure we've got two great guests with us today which clarence will introduce to you in in a moment as always i'd like to introduce my my great staff our great staff that makes Health Chatter successful for a little over a year now. And we're closing in on our 50th show. So this will be, it'll be really nice to to get that that, that, uh, that 50th show in for sure. Um, Background research for this show was done by uh, Sheridan Nygaard who is on our show today. So thank you Sheridan, great job, great information. Other researchers on our team include Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, and Deandra Howard. And our production manager, technical guru, is uh, Matthew Campbell. And let me tell you, for those of us who are technically challenged, it's really nice. You know, Clarence raises his hand and so yeah, yeah. on. Okay. It, uh, it's really nice having someone who knows the logistics and the ins and outs of uh, production for uh, a podcast like this. And then, of course, there's uh, Clarence, who's a great, great colleague. If, if I could hug him every day, I would give him a bear hug. Uh, we're, we're really great colleagues, known each other a long time and enjoy each other's company and enjoy each other's chatter, for sure. Um, Then, of course, there's Human Partnership, which we'll talk about even a little bit more today. Human Partnership is a community organization that's involved with a lot of things in the community around health that... It's helpful for for the community, and they are involved in many, many different initiatives. One of which involves uh, pain and pain management, which we'll we'll talk about today. So, thank you to to everybody. I'm going to turn it over to Clarence,
1: and he's going to introduce our guest for today. Thanks, Dan. And uh, as you said, uh, we are honored to have these two guests with us today and uh, talk about a topic that many of us think about, some. many of us also experience, uh, but also many of us need to know more about. And so uh, our guests are from the Early Bakken Center for Spirituality and Healing, and it's uh, uh, Dr. Douglas P. Kennedy. He's the assistant uh, professor, uh, Integrated Health and Well-Being Research Program, and Britt Lenegar, who's also an assistant professor uh, in the Integrated Health and Well-Being Research Program. And what's exciting about this is that you know i've had the experience of working with uh them for a couple of years now two three years now talking about pain and uh we've had some some great conversations so so with that i want to welcome both of you gentlemen here to our program
2: thanks so much clarence it's good to be Mm -hmm. here
1: great Mm -hmm. having both of you
0: so i'm going to start this out okay because you know i've been thinking about this subject for you know a couple days and it's just like, whoa, pain. It's just like any one of us could start at the top of our heads and go down to the tips of our toes. And you could have a headache, you can have eye pain, you can have ear pain, you can have throat pain, you can have heart pain, you can have acute pain, you can have chronic pain, the whole, the whole gamut of, of things around pain, uh, dental pain, which to this day I can't figure out why the guy upstairs put nerves in our teeth, but that's another <laughs> subject. <laughs> anyway, so can can how about if we start out with, with with Douglas? Give us a sense of first of all pain, what we're dealing with definitionally, and then how it is that we kind of um, put things in categories in order to address pain for all of us.
2: You know, I think actually Brent's far better suited. To, to okay, Brent, no, go for I'm it. I'm going to kick it over to him.
3: Yeah, so that's a great question. And the, um, there's just been a reclassification or redefinition of what pain is. And so recognizing that you know, it's this experience, but it's, it can also be perceived experience. And it's more than just the sensation, but there's the whole experience around it and the emotions that are around it. And so the new definition definition is more is more is broader and encompasses all of that. Um, so it's not just the actual, you know, you hit your finger, you experience the pain, but it's even the perceived threat of of hitting your finger, and that can cause some emotional distress and some reaction to it. Um, so that's. That's one thing that's important to note is that our understanding is evolving. And and finally, our definitions are are changing a bit. Um, The other one you mentioned that is important is this this classification of acute or chronic, because a lot of what we think about for pain, we think about in the acute stages, you know, you hurt yourself, there's a protective response. um, But but often pain persists and and some of the protective responses get to be less protective the longer it persists and, and which is difficult. And, and because they're just and right, like nature, put it in, put it in us in a reason. Like if, if you hurt yourself, you withdraw from it, you protect yourself, you, you get away from the things that are hurting you, but the longer it persists, all of a sudden the messages can change a bit. And the, the things that you're withdrawing from, uh, can actually make embed the pain and make it harder to recover from over time. So you know one of the yeah. things I want to I, I want to yeah
1: yeah one of the things I want to talk about um because I, I think we have had this conversation before is also about how do people view pain. Uh, because I think people view pain based on their own experiences. You know, I think one of the stories I I told a long time ago was that, you know, growing up, I was, you know, I didn't have no pain. You know, I was young, I was, you know, I I was carefree, those kinds of things. And so when people would complain about pain, I'm like, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, uh, I I just couldn't, I couldn't understand that. And then I remember one time I was in Buffalo, New York, rental car. I backed up, I didn't see this post. I just backed up at about three to five miles an hour and I hit this post and I felt such excruciating pain that I had never felt in my life. And it's at that moment that I made the decision never to talk about anybody else and their pain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because once you experience pain, you know, then I think that you have a different perception about it. I think that for many of us, um, there's so many different experiences with pain. So how do you how do you uh let's talk a little bit about how do how, how do people view pain? Because I think as you just said, it it's it's most of us think about it as the physical aspect of it, but there's also that emotional.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think you highlighted a good point, or a great point that. No one can see it, right? And there is no objective measure of it. You can't go into a clinic, and they hook up a device to you that tells exactly how much pain uh, you're experiencing, right? So it's it's subjective and it's unidentifiable except for you as the person who is experiencing it, which makes it a complicated. Um, the subject. Cause like you were saying, Clarence, like you, no one else can see how much pain you're in <laughs> and especially health professionals, right? They have to take mm-hmm. your word for it and, and understand what, what sort of impact it has on you. And I think the other thing you said, that's really important is that it is different and it is shaped by our experience and, and what you experienced in your youth growing up, you know, like, uh, having, family members who have pain and how they dealt with it and, and coped with it has a big influence on on how you're going to uh, cope with your pain and what you think of your pain and and how you're going to help manage it. And so, and each of us are different and have different experiences and come from uh, different places, right? And so it, it is complicated in that manner in that you can't just say, okay, this is how you manage it. And it's going to work for everyone because it it's really shaped by your what your beliefs and your thoughts are about it are going to be shaped about what your experiences have been along the way growing up into what you've actually dealt with, right?
1: And this is my challenge. This is my challenge as a community member. Uh, many times community members express their pains to medical professionals who dismissed it, you know, and who, you know, minimize it uh because their experience is that you know this might you you might be abusing uh the privilege of of pain so i'm just gonna leave it like that but i want to put it out there because that is that is a big big issue this medical thing how doctors perceive it how the community uh, uh, experience it is something that is something that we need to discuss yeah, Doug, you you have a note here. Yeah,
2: no, I, I think that's really important. I mean, to there are two things that are going on there, and to to Brent's piece about being, you know, this being a subjective experience, and Clarence, you know, as you were talking about your your auto accident, right? Um, one of the things that was really in, enlightening for someone who spends time, you know, on this research team thinking about it was actually being a parent of a child with chronic pain. Right and that whole just like let's now going from being you know clearance kind of like you oh other people have pain or have been injured in sports or things like that to then seeing how it's unfolding in this child. And it was that really that shift going from you know sort of cognitive awareness to then the emotional psychological right and actually seeing it play out. And then that other really important point that you bring up, Clarence. You know, when we were doing interviews this last summer, for example, talking with community members about their pain, that subjective experience and the role that healthcare professionals play in is, is very, very layered. You know, we would hear time and time again, "I'm not believed," um, you know, or "I'm just," you know, people being accused that you know, "I'm," you're just here for medication. Um, there was an article that ran, uh, actually two articles that ran in both the New York Times and also in Politico that had talked about healthcare professionals' attitudes towards their patients of color in particular about pain, ideas that were not rooted in science, um, but that have been persistent for, for well over a century, two centuries.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I got a couple of, of, of stories to tell here that I think relate to all of this. So as many of the People in the listening audience know I um, I I see orthopedic patients that have come out of knee surgery. Okay, I see them literally like two hours after they've come out of recovery, so they're still feeling okay. And um, and Brent, to your your point, um, how the medical professionals, et cetera, assess pain, it's interesting because we always ask the patients on a scale from one to 10, where 10 is the worst, give us where your pain is at. Okay. And you know, you know, they'll tell us, you know, whatever it is. And then our our two things that we say right out of the gate is this. First of all, if you have a high pain tolerance forget about it because let me tell you the pain is going to hit you when you the anesthesia goes out and then the next thing is how to stay ahead of the pain now this is in an acute situation okay knee surgery in this case but you know there's more chronic oriented things which i I know for sure that you you guys know a lot about let me ask this question then you take it from here is there a part of the body that experiences more pain than any other part of the body like for instance i know that that an initiative that you guys are involved with is back pain okay and a lot of period a lot of people experience back pain but based on what you know is there a part of the body that experiences more pain in general
3: yeah back pain would be up there i mean it's it almost all of us will experience it at some point in our life and you you can't say the same for other regions but you know it's it's so common in yeah all yeah. the areas of our body right You're like like there isn't like pain is a part of of life and you know as you age the the number of body regions are likely to go up and gather um but so it, it's a difficult question cuz there there might like i would say back pain is probably the the most common just because mm-hmm. it, nearly everyone has to deal with it. And not everyone has headaches. Not everyone has uh, dental pain. Um, yeah. They follow behind very closely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of things that kind of meld into back pain, you know, sciatica and you know, whatever. You, you know, you get up from a chair a funny way and all of a sudden you get a, a kink in your back or whatever. And you don't know if it's going to be Oh my God, a long time that you have to deal with that, or just a couple of days, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, right. okay. Your
1: your project, Clarence, and then go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I was gonna, I was gonna uh, uh, you know add on to what Brent is saying is that I think the statistics is 80% of us will experience some lower back pain. And so when you get it, it's not abnormal, although we sometimes it, it's funny though, when you get it. It's like, I'm the only person in the world that's suffering with this. And so I got to, you know, <laughs> I got to do what I got to do, but it's really a, a, a normal, a normal part, as you just said, of, of, aging. And so we need to, we need to understand that we have to take care of our back because it is something that, uh, uh, we will at some point have some kind of, uh, challenges with it. Doug.
2: Yeah. And that 80% number, uh, is, is staggering. You know, and yeah. working with you know undergraduates or even graduate students on campus, and we're talking about pain, and you know, in some of my classes, they're like, "Well, I'm never going to experience it," but you know, we yeah. are seeing patients that are in their in their 20s. They've been injured in sports. You know, that um, that number does surprise people. At some point, most of us, if not you know, close to, to all of us, will experience this type of pain. Brent, where were you going to add to that? I saw you jump in.
3: Yeah. I was going to say, and it actually starts early. Like a lot of people are surprised to know that the the prevalence or the, how often the the percent of the population that experience back pain in, in the teenage years and the late adolescence years is getting close to what it is in adulthood. So it, it, it starts early. It does increase, like there'll be more people as you get older, but it's not substantially more. Um, so it's, it's a part of life in terms of, um, happening at even a young age. And so it's not just this thing that as you get older, you're going to get this, like most of us deal with this, uh, even in our youth. And the other thing is, although it's common, right. It it's, it's scary, right. Because mm-hmm. and it, it it has this sense of fragility to you, right? Like yesterday I was able to bend over and, and everything was fine. Now today I go to pick up a pencil and all of a sudden something shifts in my back. I've got this stabbing, shearing pain, uh, every little movement I do uh, reproduces the stabbing, shearing pain, and so appropriately it it can cause some um, some fear among people and some you know what's going on with me, what is wrong, and they and then you end up in a health professional's office, and a lot of times we don't have good answers for identifying this is the exact cause, other than knowing that you know that that acute episode typically will get better with a little bit of time um but what exactly is causing it and where is it coming from and and can i get a quick you know can i have a fix to make sure this never happens again those are things that you know the the healthcare community at this point in time doesn't have solutions for and i don't think we'll have solutions for and, and that's part of what we're trying to do is shift the focus from like this isn't uh, a a condition that's going to have a cure this is more something that we we want to empower people to learn, okay, when this happens, what can we do best to cope with it? And how can I help manage it the best that I can so that it has less impact on my day-to-day life and and doesn't get me in a sense where I'm feeling like I'm fragile. And unfortunately, a lot of what we do in the healthcare community, like we'll, we'll send you for imaging and then we'll say, well, you have, you know, your, your spine is degenerating, right? Which just imagine how that feels and what that sounds like. But when you look at, well, what's the relationship between having some degeneration that shows up on your spine on an MRI or an x-ray and the pain experience, It it's weak if existent at all, right? And so often it's not really a good explanation for what's going on, but it, it sends a message like, okay, <laughs> I've got a bulging disc. I've got I've got degeneration of my spine. Um, all these things contribute to um, how people cope with it and if they feel they can cope with it. And so a lot of what we're doing with our work is trying to flip that narrative and empower people to, you know, here's where, here's what the evidence says, here's what we know is going on, here's what we don't know is going on, but here's the best way you can, here's a here are some ways you can cope with it, because there is no best way. Let me take that back. There are multiple ways and not everything works the same for everyone, but helping people choose their path and what works best for them to, to cope with. Bad, Doug.
2: Sure. So I Brent, I think, you know, you keep you've used the phrase twice, which is I think the the ultimately least favorite phrase that I've ever used in my classes that pain is part of life, right? And these students don't want to think about it, but but it is that that reality. And then picking up on, you know, the idea about our work is about empowering people. To, to cope with this, to live with this. And that's in the study. and it's also in the uh, the activities that we're doing on engaging communities to you know, whether it's through public dissemination of, okay, so here's what we know, let's bring in community members, let's bring in clinicians, let's bring in researchers and talk about this because it is really about shifting the way that people are, are dealing with this.
1: So I want to I talk about the complication of pain. You no, know, I, I I started talking a little bit earlier about the the um, uh, the way in which I perceived pain when I was younger. You know we talk about what does pain, how does pain really affect our lives? I mean, is it socially? I mean, is it emotionally? I mean, we talked, we throw those things out, but I think to 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 dig a little bit deeper uh, would be very very helpful. You know, uh, mentally, what what's 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 up with pain? Because if you don't if you don't know that then you don't realize you know how it affects people and I, I, so anyway what do you think what, what's going on
3: yeah. well it's it's the number one reason why people leave the workforce across the across the globe yeah. right so there's that <laughs> It has a big impact um it has a big impact on identity right like all of a sudden you go from from being able to move around to now you can't move around can i can i pick up my children can i pick up my grandkids can i do my job is it going to affect my ability to bring in a, a paycheck and, and support myself and my loved ones right and so it has huge um consequences both emotionally and socially and on a just a public health burden, you know, in terms of diseases, the, the World Health Organization has this global project where they they look at how common different conditions are, and then also what sort of impact it has on people's lives. And what impact it has on their length of life. Um, and so back pain, you know, for when you combine length of life, because it really doesn't impact as, as much like your length of life, but quality of life it has a big impact on. It's the number one condition in terms of uh, disability across the globe and in the United States, just because of how common it is mm-hmm. and how much it impacts people's abilities to do their day-to-day activities, go into work, those sort of things.
0: So let me, let me um, focus a little bit on um, three themes that we, we try to address in, in all of our shows. And that's namely um, prevention, acute treatment, and then disease, or in this case, pain management. So let me give you a perfect one that just came to be this morning in our households. My wife comes in, she says to, to me, should I go take Murphy, our dog, for a walk? And I said, sure. She says, okay, well, will you get the sink ready for when we, we come back? I says, paws always get dirty. Okay, now Murphy is a 70 pound dog. And I said, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. I'm gonna be in the middle of of doing health chatter. She said, oh then we're gonna wait. And what she was basically saying was this, is that she could not lift Murphy, okay? Be- and, and that to me was a form of prevention, okay? <laughs> uh, really, I mean, okay, I hurt your back or whatever, can't lift a 70 pound dog. I'll get to the point where maybe that's true for me too. But anyway, that's another story. All right, so there's the prevention. And I want to circle back to that in a, in a second. Then there's the c- acute treatment, like I, I kind of mentioned a little bit, like you know, what, um, for like people who are having knee surgery or hip surgery or or even back surgery for 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 that matter. That's just one illustration of that. And then there's disease management, which I'm sure in, involves you know um, medications, etc. Which really interesting to me It's that the United States, it says here consumes over 80, the United States consumes over 80% of the world's opioids, you know, in, in whether, let's assume that most of that is for pain management, but we don't know. Okay, so for both of you, for, for, for Douglas and for Brent, let's talk about two sides of that equation. The prevention, which is kind of the public health community-oriented aspect that you might be able to reflect on the initiative that you're involved with with HUMAN. And then on the other end of that spectrum is the disease management. So take it away, either one of you. Brent,
3: well, I can, go ahead. Yeah, I can start. So in terms of prevention, the good news, well, I don't know if it's good news, but the news is that, uh, A lot of uh, contributing factors to just uh, multiple conditions, heart disease, diabetes also have an impact on uh, back pain. So physical activity level, um, if if you're not physically active, you're going to have a higher risk for, for developing back problems and for it becoming more persistent and more problematic in terms of your daily activities. Uh, smoking is another risk factor that's associated with with back pain as is uh, obesity or or body weight is is a factor. Now in terms of prevention and like strategies and treatments interventions there's not a lot of uh, of studies that have looked at that those that have have primarily focused on exercise and there's there's a fair amount of evidence supporting that you know regular routine exercise uh, can help prevent, if not the experience, the the prolonged experience, and it from becoming a more disabling and, and problematic condition.
0: Yeah, Douglas, what do you think? Prevention well, and acute and. Disease management
2: sides. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would echo what Brent is saying, and and there is that part as you're talking about your wife and lifting the 70 pound dog. I mean, this is something we relate to in our household too. You know, we've always had dogs at least between that size, you know, or yeah, right, are, yeah. right, and yeah, um, yeah. but now it's it's that knowledge too. So you know, when we look at um, you know from both our interventions or, or just even with our PTs in the clinic too, it's you know being having that knowledge around. What to do, how to do it. There's that prevention right. around it that that's necessary, um, but really that physical activity piece, that strengthening, especially once we get you know for uh, for men and women, you know, past your thirties, we start to lose muscle mass, we we lose strength, um, and being aware of that. Um, both my spouse and I work jobs that are are really really long. You know, we put in long hours and they're sedentary. So having that wake up call, to like okay, now this is not just about you know. Trying to look good, you know, in your clothing or things like that. This is actually about longevity. This is about being able to do the things that we still enjoy um, with ease of movement um, and, and greater health. So let's talk
0: about knowledge for for just a second as it relates to pain. So I'm I'm very aware because I was in the cardiovascular arena, and that's things like risk factors. Okay, so all of a sudden acute onset of chest pain, for instance, or pain down your arm or a very, very sudden um, headache. Okay. These are risk factors for potential cardiac problems or stroke problems. So how is it that we we, we put all, we encapsulate all of this stuff around pain, you know, one is on risk factors, one is on management, one is kind of know your body, know yourself, um, understand your own pain management. How do we get around all of this, you know, kind of encapsulate it all?
3: Yeah, if- yeah, it's complicated, right? Because it's it's just a symptom. It's like you have pain, and then where is the pain? But what is the actual thing or condition that's causing the pain, right? And right. and we know that like there's a small number of cases, right? Less than one percent of the time, it is identifiable, and it's something serious, right? You you have a fracture of the spine. You had maybe cancer that has spread to the spine, and that's causing the pain. There's an okay. infection within the spine, or you have this underlying inflammatory condition, right? And so, that's those are rare, but they do happen less than one percent of all the cases. And and the longer things persist, and and you're unable to to um, manage, or if you know you have an acute traumatic onset, this is where, you know, health professionals are extremely good at identifying um, there's something serious going on, but that's, you know, that's less than 1%. And then there's, there's a smaller number, you know, somewhere between five and 10%, where uh, you have an inflammation of the nerve roots. Uh, so if people are often common with the term sciatica. Um, so often that's from a, a disc herniation, where there's a, a piece of your disc that, that, squirts out and your irritates the nerve and causes a lot of inflammation and you'll experience sharp shearing, intense leg pain. The good news is is health professionals are are really good at identifying what those symptoms are and what you're experiencing. Uh, it'll often improve, but it takes time and it's it's it can be very disabling uh, when it occurs. It, it has a longer um, it, it takes longer for you to heal up and, and improve but, but that's still just five to 10%. And then there's somewhere between 90 and 95% where we're not quite sure. We know that there's something um, there's something functionally not working well, but identifying what is the exact pain source. <laughs> we can't really identify the exact pain source. And so that makes it difficult, uh, especially for, for patients because you come into the health professional and not, health professional expecting an answer, like, this is what's wrong with you, me, and this is what I need to do for it. Um, but with, especially with back and neck pain, often it's left in this what we call non-specific back or neck pain, where we can't identify the specific cause, but we can, what we can do is identify things you can do that will help uh, improve it over time and help manage it over time.
1: So let me let me ask this question. I want to talk. I want to ask two specific things. I want to talk about the connection between depression and smoking to pain. What are the connections between uh, depression? I mean, uh, and smoking to pain?
3: Yeah, smoking. It's especially with back and neck pain. It's related. Uh, the exact mechanisms aren't well understood. Uh, but we, the thought is that the same mechanisms, likely same mechanisms that they have on other health conditions lead to that uh, in terms of inducing inflammation within the body uh, and impacting the body's ability to heal. Um, depression is even is more strongly associated. Uh, there's been a lot of literature looking at the impact of depression on outcomes for individuals with back and neck pain. And it's pretty clear that uh, depression and pain are related. Uh, the more you have of one, typically, the worse your experience is going to be with the other. And so, there's been a lot, especially in the last 10-15 years, there's been uh, recognition that um, you can't just segment conditions and treat them irrespective of everything else the person is experiencing, um, both health condition-wise and and within their life. And so. Uh, in in the back and neck pain world, there's been a lot of movement towards um, that recognition and pushing towards um, interventions or treatments that that recognize that and help do a better job of managing kind of the whole person and what the experience is. And I mean the the one story that that is told that I think rings true and not talking specifically about depression, but just even mood can, exp- can impact your, your pain experience. Right. So the, the, the analogy is given about the, whether you're on the winning or the losing team you know, of an athletic event, when you suffer an injury in in the final minutes and, and how your pain experience is going to be and what you're going to think of it. Uh, you know, we are, that has, that has an impact. So, you know, pain, we're kind
0: of giving it kind of a, a generic title here, but there are titles of pain. So for, for instance, arthritis, okay, which is whenever you have arthritis, it's, it's associated with pain. So is that how we kind of come down the funnel in order to diagnose and help by first of all, you know, starting at that, that kind of concept, I'm in pain or whatever, and then all of a sudden you kind of, (laughs) you kind of diagnose. And then from that point, theoretically, at least treat or help. Is that kind of how things are dealt with in the pain arena?
3: It is. That's how it's been. But but the issue is, is it, it hasn't worked so well. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) because it still hurts, right? (laughs) It still hurts. You've got uh, the the equivalent. I mean, you can have osteoarthritis in your spine and often you'll get, you know, if you go, if you'll be sent for an X-ray or an MRI, you'll get a report back. That'll say a lot of um, big, scary words. Um, The, you know, you have level X2 degeneration. uh, There's, there's osteoarthritis in these facet joints. The issue is, is those things are are often common in people who don't experience pain, um, and they they increase with with years of of lived experience on the planet. And they don't they don't correlate or associate very well with with pain or pain outcomes. And there's actually been studies where they they even looked at uh, what's the impact of sending someone with back pain for an X-ray on their overall outcomes. And surprisingly, they've they either did the same or worse on whole and and a lot of that's because it can't really guide the treatments or it, it if it does guide treatments it guides it to treatments where there's not a lot of evidence so you you end on this this road where you go from acute pain or ongoing pain to now you're going to have a spinal injection and you might you know maybe that works for once or twice but it gets to be less and less helpful as time goes on and now all of a sudden you're a surgical candidate and the evidence for surgery in the field of back and neck pain isn't that great, except for a couple of few uh, small, well-defined conditions. But um, and so that's that's kind of the way the the biomedical model is currently working, and it's leading to overuse of a lot of treatments and diagnostic strategies that that. In most cases, aren't helpful. I mean, I don't, I don't want to paint with a broad brush and say MRIs aren't helpful, but in a lot of cases, they aren't helpful. Um, in some cases, they are, but and and same with with injections and surgeries. They, in some cases, they are, but all too often in the U.S. Anyway, you go down the system of okay, you come in with back pain. Let's go get some imaging okay, you've got degeneration at this level, a disc bulge at this level, let's do an injection at that level. Okay, that injection didn't work. Um, okay, let's, let's go in and, and stabilize and fuse the segment and do surgery. Um, and, and oftentimes the outcomes aren't much better doing that versus more uh, conservative, non-invasive approaches. Which is,
2: I think though, I mean, that's really, really important because as a country, you and I were talking about this weeks ago too. It's like we spend more on these back pain treatments than than anything else.
3: True? Am I am I getting that correct again? Yeah, yeah. We spend more on the care of back and neck pain than any other healthcare condition in the U.S. So like four wow. percent of every every dollar we spend on healthcare in the U.S. goes towards back or neck pain. So more than cancer, more than heart disease, more than diabetes. So it's wow. it's prevalent. And we spend a lot of money on it, and the rates of and where we spend our money isn't always the most efficient nor the most effective.
1: Yeah, yeah. And- Clarence. Yeah, I want to ask this question. This has really been a very interesting. What is the basic information that people should know about pain? What's ba- I mean? I, I mean, you know, what should everyone know about pain? Yeah. Tips or whatever.
3: Yeah, that that it's very common. That it's very scary when it first happens, um, but that the best way to to manage it is to try to remain in your activities as much as you can. Right, and but that has to be with a said with a grain of salt, right? Like you don't want to overdo it, but you don't want to completely withdraw. At the same time, there are some uh, signs where it can be more serious, and you 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 def, most definitely want to go see someone, a health professional, to have it checked out. So when you have uh, experience weakness or numbness where you can't feel um, your leg or your arm, those those are a more serious presentation. Um if you have a fever with it, or you're losing weight, and all of a sudden you have this nagging back problem and nothing seems to make it better or worse, it's just always there. Uh, those aren't good signs. Uh, but for most people, what they experience is it's it's gonna come on and be acute where you'll have sharp pain that limits a lot of your activities and you'll feel like not doing anything. Um, but you kind of have to, resist that urge and see what you can do and try to keep doing what you can. And then slowly you should be able to do a little more and a little more and a little more and then get back to doing what what you want. Because you know, it wasn't that long ago we told people who had this that you, know, you should just go in bed for a week, you know, lay down, don't do anything. And we've learned that lesson the hard way that that doesn't do anyone any good um, and it tends to, you know, your muscles get weaker as you're laying there. Um, your body's not, you know, the, the muscles need some coordination, right? Like it's, it's really a well-tuned orchestra that's playing every time you make any movement in terms of the muscles of your body, be able to coordinate uh, all the joints and keep things moving in just the right way. And the longer you're laying down and not moving, uh, the less time that orchestra is practicing. So it might be a little out of tune, but <laughs> you need yeah, them. right, right. You need to keep them playing on it so that they can get in tune and get you back to doing what what you want to do.
0: So let me me ask this question. Um, You know, we're living longer. I mean, you know, again, you know, the guy upstairs didn't think we're going to be living this long. So he probably assumed that we weren't going to be assuming um, pain like we are. Okay. So um, one of our shows coming up, I believe next week, we're having a, a physician on, who, um, artificial limb replacement, knee replacements, okay, or, you know, um, hip replacements or whatever. Um, And, you know, based on, you know, who I see, you know, it, it certainly is, okay, you know, why, why did you have your knee replaced? Well, you know, typically the answer is bone on bone, you know, and I couldn't stand it anymore. I was taking, you know, Advil like you know, I was popping Advil like there were M&Ms. Okay, um, and it got to be a point where it became so debilitating that you know, it if it, it affected my um, my lifestyle. Okay, so we're living longer because of that. Are we experiencing, based on you know everything you guys are we experiencing or assuming? more pain should we as far as messaging is concerned like Clarence was alluding to should we just assume all of us assume that guess what pain there's going to be some pain somewhere sometime no matter what okay you know and you know kind of suck it up get ready for it because it's going to happen you're going to get out of bed one day and you say oh my god where in the hell did that pain come from all of a sudden? Okay. Or you twist or you turn or you do whatever. So is age a function of it? And should that be part of our messaging to the public say, Hey, you shouldn't be scared of this. You should be knowledgeable about it and know that it's just, you know, that's life and things are going to happen. What do you guys think about that?
3: Yeah, it, so I agree. Like it, it, will become more common. Although, the you know, it's so common to begin with uh, that 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 increase isn't going to be as much. What what does have a bigger impact as people age is its its impact on their daily activities and their ability. Yes. To function and your ability to keep doing the thing, and it gets harder and harder as you get older. Um, and this is where prevention comes in like the minute you stop doing something like you can stop doing things when you're in your 30s and 40s and pick it up two, three years later, and be a little rusty but still be able like that, as you get older, that becomes less and less um... <laughs> possible right yeah. so, uh, especially when i'm seeing older older patients like the messaging is even when things are good like you have to be on defense because things can like if if you stop suddenly the, happen <laughs> yeah if you stop doing the things you're doing even if it's yeah, not yeah. related to pain guess what <laughs> you're not going to yeah, be yeah. it anymore and if you think you're going to all of a sudden just retrain and be able to do that uh you Potentially can, but it's a much harder challenge than if you yeah. keep keep working on it.
2: Yeah, Douglas. Yeah, no, I, I want to piggyback on what Brent is saying because I, I think it's really important that it isn't just as we age, but it does become more more difficult, and that, that the emphasis on prevention is is crucial. One thing just to to draw it a little bit more is that you know that how people relate to the experience of pain is crucial, that this is a complex phenomena, it's not just, you know, as we going back to the beginning of this conversation, it's not just at the locus of a trauma, um, but this is actually, you know, a complex biopsychological and and social piece. And, you know, and and as people think, especially as they get older, that withdrawing from activities, right? As there's more fear around, it has all kinds of downstream effects too, that we know um, affect people's longevity. So this is, I think this is a really important conversation to have part of that knowledge, part of that prevention, and then being aware because it, it is an eventuality.
1: We, we will experience pain. That is, in, in some ways, it is just the human condition. So my question then to you is this, knowing that this is a part of the human condition, how do we support people who are going through this process?
3: Yeah, and I think it's the messaging, because we've we've had this, like, like, we've understood in this trajectory we've been on, we've been on the same trajectory in terms of the country and the world for the past 30 years. And, and some of these messages, like, haven't always been framed in the most useful way for individuals, because if you know it's part of the experience, like like you're saying, Dr. Stan, like the, do we just need to suck it up? And to me, that's, that's like, cause when you hear that and it can have this, well, there's not a recognition of what I'm experiencing because it is, it is frightening, right? It is frightening to be able one day to be fine. And the next day, not to be able to bend over <laughs> without feeling like somebody's stabbing you in your lower back. Right. And so, so a recognition that it's, it is going to happen, it will be scary, but what's available to help support. And that's one area that we are learning and even our guidelines are changing. So the the role of medications, you know, it used to be medications were especially in acute stages were kind of the go-to. Well, um, there's a recognition that they're not always that helpful. And the American College of Physicians in their their most recent guideline for back pain management are actually recommending, uh, starting with non-pharmacological approaches, so non-drug treatments, first, and then moving on to, to drugs for those who prefer it and aren't able to manage it using non-drug options. And, and the key things are some of the things we already talked about, like, uh, having a recognition of what's going on first, making sure that's nothing major serious that's going on, uh, which like I was saying before, it rarely is, um, But once you get past that, then knowing what you can do to manage it, what sort of routines can you get in your day that'll help you get over this? And then is there a way you can prevent it? Uh, Often it's hard to prevent it from ever recurring, but can you prevent it when it does recur to where it's not impactful and you can get over that hump as quickly as possible?
0: So I got to tell you a great little story. This just happened last week. so I, I had to go to the ER because I had, I was experiencing chest pain. Okay. And, you know, as a health professional, you get to a certain point where you don't screw around. You just, you just go and you get things checked. All right. I'm sitting in the ER and this mother comes in. This was at about 10 o'clock at night now. A mother comes in with her her daughter. Her daughter might've been eight or nine years old and her daughter was crying, just crying because she had really hurt her wrist, okay? She was doing some kind of gymnastics thing and really hurt her wrist. It might've been broken at that point, I didn't know. But the point I'm bringing up is this. Um, She was sitting right next to me, okay? and i realized you know here i am in some sort of pain here she is in her sense of pain whatever she was dealing with the idea of support it really you know i i i said to the, the little girl you know it's going it's going to be fine they'll, they'll take a look at your wrist, et cetera. So that kind of walked her through just a little bit, probably the same thing, frankly, that her mother did. <laughs> okay. But hearing it from somebody else, I think, at least I hope was helpful. It turns out that I, I, I did see them um, in the ER and the mother came in and she said to me, I just want to thank you. Okay, and I actually I thanked her, too, because frankly, for me, focusing on the little girl's pain took some of the pain away from me. You know, so it's like I really do believe that when we are any of us are in pain, I don't care what it is. Having really good, trusted people or kind people helping you talk through it, um, assisting you with it. I think I, is is an incredible uh, community message that perhaps we can all um, share and hopefully do.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Douglas. Yeah. So I mean, this is this is one of the things I, I couldn't agree with you more about this. You know, because there there are a couple of things going on with that. One, and what we're trying to do within our own Partners for Pain um, project is to to break down some of those barriers right to be able yeah. to find that that good information because a lot of people can search on the web but that doesn't necessarily mean because you found it at www.whatever that it's it's credible www. But also, pain huh? <laughs> right right but then also you know some of our talks that we're doing which are bringing in you know health professionals researchers community i mean really trying to bring people together to have A frank conversation around this. We're talking about the role of medication. We're talking about when to be concerned about pain. Um, I think these are really important talks to have. And then seeing that there are folks that are out there that you can connect with and are inviting you to these conversations to talk about them, um, it's really, really valuable. And the other part of that, I think, too, that's significant is, you know, like our interventions, too, are are based in, in groups, they're group interventions because there's something about having that, you know, surrounding community with you um that's really important and the last piece that i'll just mention too it's that you know like, where do we learn these skills like that that little girl that was in the er right to navigate this you know how do we how do we learn these things and these are 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 really valuable it's that relating to the experience
0: yeah it's Um, the kind of the empathy of it all yeah yeah
2: yeah. And and for yourself in this to notice those small shifts right to, to surf the waves rather than getting bowled over by them.
0: Correct. Correct. And you know, it's interesting, the psyche of, of, of people um, differs too. It's like, you know, when I see patients, I just volunteer my time because I've gone through knee surgery. And so I talk to patients and I go in there and say, Hey, you know, after introducing me, I say, guess what? I've gone through what you've gone through. So I'm here to give you some empathetic insight. Okay. And they so greatly, appreciate that. So I, I, I think, and you guys can take the ball and run with it, but I really believe that, um, that empathy has, is, is really part of the, um, disease management scope of, of things. I really, really do. Clarence, you had your hand up. Oh, you're on
1: mute. I had my hand up I took it down but uh I think one of the things I wanted to go back to was just this cost of us dealing with pain. Uh I think the statistics said like uh, you know you talked about it's one of the biggest things that we that we spend on about 800 billion dollars. I mean I'm sorry, 200 billion dollars a year I spent annually on pain management. That's a lot of money. And I think it's something that that we need to talk about even more and so I'm really I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to end of this conversation with you all to talk about different ways in which we might be able to address it.
2: Well, Clarence, you bring up a really important point, too, that when you get into those numbers, and Brent, I think you can speak to this as well, I mean, that, that's not equitably distributed either. There are people who are experiencing pain that are not able to, to spend this money on it, so the importance of, of education, of having low-cost alternatives of patient knowledge is really, really important. Brent, what would you add to that?
3: yeah it's not equitable and it's not efficient either <laughs> like the money we are spending a lot of it's uh on the same the same approaches we've been doing for the past 40 50 years with with little improvement uh, and what doctor stan was talking about in terms of empathy and and uh, you know are there better approaches um low cost approaches and it starts with that just the overall experience and having someone who can can understand what you're going through, uh, and not always try to fix it. Like this is wrong. We're going to fix it with this. This is wrong. We're going to fix it. Right. Right. A lot of times that falls apart. And I was going to add this story. Like, um, this is actually how I got into being a health professional is I had an experience when I was an adolescent where I had, pretty severe ankle pain when I was training for the football team, which I had no business being on the football team anyway, but <laughs> when I was training for it, I had very severe ankle pain. And so my, my parents brought me into health professional. They did an extensive workup. They took images, they did blood work. And I remember the doctor, the, 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 phys- the physician coming back and saying, there's absolutely nothing wrong with him. Uh, he just needs to toughen it up and and learn, learn to deal with it. And That was my experience. And so they took me to a different health professional who, who showed me a little empathy, asked, you know, and then guided me through, well, here's some things you could do to potentially help manage it when it happens. Like, here's some exercises you can do. These aren't going to work right away, but over time, this should make it a, a bit more tolerable. Here's some potential braces you can get in the short term while you're starting to build it up. And so that kind of really set my trajectory in terms of, okay, I want, I want more of that <laughs> and a little less. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I think we're we're kind of wired. We as human beings are are wired for quick fixes. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think pain is in that category where it, it's not a quick fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Douglas
2: no i think that part that you're talking about the empathy right and how the patient is interacting with a provider right we we know that that people are mistreated within the system we know that they that patient provider relationship is fraught and with lots and lots of layers so one thing that i'm really excited about on our team is spending time to to look at that alliance to train within that alliance and then be able to disseminate that too yeah um, patients being re-traumatized as they have to retell their story or not being believed. This is part of that experience as well. And we would hear it, you know, we hear this again and again and again, and it's something that needs to be taken into consideration as part of this care as well.
0: Well, I'll tell you, this information has been incredibly enlightening. I really, really applaud your, your efforts in addressing this Um, this subject matter, not necessarily down to the core of it, but more in the the broader perspective, how is it that we as human beings can address this subject matter um, from a prevention, acute treatment, disease management perspective that we all understand, appreciate, and can empathize with. And I think in in the end, it can have an, an incredible impact on the delivery of care overall.
1: Clarence, last thoughts here. I am really glad and thankful that you, you two gentlemen, uh took the time to be with us today. Uh I I believe that our listeners will get a, a better understanding of this issue around pain. I know that I have. And so thank you again for the work that you're doing. And uh, you know, we look forward to having you back again. Absolutely. We reserve the right when you when you come up with some aha moments,
0: let us know. And uh, we'll we'll have you on the show. So it's been really a pleasure both meeting you and 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 chatting with you. To our listening audience, thank you so much for being with us. We got great shows coming up in the in the queue. We're, we're going to be talking about the cannabis policy. Uh, actually in the state of Minnesota law, and we'll be talking about that. We have a show coming up on Friday on that. Artificial joint replacement, which I alluded to. We're going to be talking about suicide. Talk about pain. That's also kind of, when you really think about it, it has has some pain implications to it. Um, We're going to have uh, Senator John Marty from from the uh, Minnesota talking about health policy, asthma. Got great shows coming up on Health Chatter. So to everybody, keep health chatting away. Hi, everyone. It's Matthew from Behind the Scenes. And I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there. You can interact with us. You can communicate with us. Send us a message. You can comment on each episode, you can rate us, Uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.